If I've learned anything from Back to the Future 2, that means we are four years away from hovering cars, <laughs> flying cars and hoverboards, and really cool Nikes that lace themselves. My name is Carlos Griego. I am a minister currently over the well, our young adult ministry here, uh, as well as the men's ministry. Um, but probably more you're going to hear from me this year will be that I am going to be leading out a church plant in Rio Rancho, Redemption Church. We'll be planting the church a year from now in the Rio Rancho area. Um, part of that is going to be where some of that one of some of that, where the funds for the 150, some of that will go. Um, as Desert Springs starts this vision to become a church that plants churches, um, this vision that we get from Scripture, that we see throughout Scripture, um, in many ways I'm the first guinea pig to go out and do it. Um, blessed and happy to do be so. Uh, some of you will be joining us in the mission in Rio Rancho. Um, others will be praying, encouraging, and funding the mission. Well, this weekend is a special weekend for me. You see, eight years ago, uh, I was the video coordinator for the University of New Mexico men's basketball team. I was a crazy, drinking, partying, girl-chasing frat kid, barely keeping enough grace to stay eligible at UNM. Uh, and our coaches at the time, Richie McKay and Scott Diedrichsen in particular, loved me, prayed for me, spoke the gospel to me. And it was eight years ago this weekend, as a former Catholic, scared out of my mind, hungover, confused, but wanting to learn more about this Jesus they preached, I stepped foot in this church. It's a, being a former Catholic, it was a lot different than I was used to. I didn't know where to kneel. Um, I didn't know who the dude was that was speaking for 45 minutes and why he didn't have a robe on. But I didn't have any idea that by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, eight years later, I'd be preaching to you and preparing to plant a church. Not to boast of myself, it's to boast only in the Lord that his word does not come back void, that he is powerful even when we have no idea what is around the corner. And so I figured it would be fitting today to talk about being on mission. To talk about the mission the risen Lord Jesus, our King, has given us. So if you want to, turn to Matthew 28. We will look at this passage known as the Great Commission. While you're turning there, let me give you a little context. Matthew is um, a gospel account written primarily to a Jewish audience. So throughout the book, it starts with this lineage from Abraham, David, now Jesus. You hear over and over again how Old Testament prophecies thus fulfilled the prophecy, thus the prophecy was fulfilled. Because the audience would be looking for this one long-awaited Messiah, for this one to come that would provide hope, this king to come, as Ryan had been preaching the past few weeks. We saw that we see Jesus' ministry here. As he picks these disciples, these men, these fishermen, man, these bunch of losers. And walks alongside them for three years, teaching them, living life with them, laughing with them, crying before them. 
and he is rested. He is proclaiming that he is the long-awaited Messiah. He is proclaiming that he has the power for forgiveness. He is proclaiming that he is God. And the religious authorities of the day grow jealous, grow angry, and have him arrested. Disciples scatter. He is crucified. He is beaten to a pulp. He is killed. He is executed. Three days later, he rises to show that he was who he said he was and can do what he said he can do. That he was the long-awaited Messiah. That he was the one the prophecies had looked for. That he was, was the one that the people of Israel had waited so long for. He was the hope. He was the Savior. He was the Redeemer. Come. He was God in flesh. And now, he calls his disciples together. 11 disciples calls them to a mountain in Galilee and commissions them as king for their mission. So let me read that now, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So disciples are told to go to this mountain. There's no real surety what mountain is being referred to here, but you can guess that it's one that Jesus had taught these disciples at before and done much of his ministry at. So, they come, disciples come and see Jesus. And right away we see the first piece of it. We see the king's authority. As some fall down and worship the risen Lord, he's no longer just a servant, he's no longer just a teacher, a rabbi, he is king. He is God as he stands before them. He has defeated sin and death. And rightly so, some of these disciples bow down and worship. See, mission starts with worship. As we understand the gospel, as we understand the gospel as it's made real and deeper in our hearts and in our minds about this great God who is holy, who is righteous, and who we are in rebellion to and who we sin before and deserve hell. We deserve his full-on wrath, and yet he loves, sends his son to live the life we were called to live, to die the death we deserve to die. And to rise three days later to show he was who he said he was. As we understand that, we see our king. He is not just a wise teacher. He is not just an example to follow. He is our king. He is our Lord. He is reigning and he is victorious. We are to worship him first and foremost. 
and only by seeing ourselves as accepted and forgiven by this holy and gracious God, overwhelmed by his love for us, sinners, messy, broken people. Can our message of mission about Jesus be about Jesus and not about us? So Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That he died and rose. His love controls our moves now. His love is what compels us on mission. And his love makes it about him who died and no longer about us. His mission becomes our mission. There's even some right now who do hesitate and doubt, it says. Some worshiped him, but some doubted. Now I want to give these guys a break because I think sometimes you go, oh, these apostles, they never get it right. Well, they've been through a lot right now. Like, I mean, first of all, they're fishermen, most of them, they're blue collar. They're, now they're following this teacher, this leader, and they see him get arrested. He gets killed. He gets, just gets beaten to a pulp by the authorities. You see him die. Now he rises. It's a whole lot to process, whether you're a fisherman or a PhD. And some were probably embarrassed by how they acted when he was crucified. How they fled, they ran, they denied. That's what makes the next line so amazing, because we can skip over this and just get to the command. And Jesus came and said to them, He knows what's going on, He knows some are doubting. In our weakness and our worship, and when we feel farthest away from God, and when we feel closest to, because we're reading our Bible every day, we're in a community group, we're able to sing with two hands in the air. It's Jesus who comes to us, it's Jesus who comes and loves us. Jesus who comes and sends and shepherds us. The sheep, his children, his loyal subjects. And Jesus states clearly and boldly, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a loaded statement, guys. For Matthew's readers, the original readers of this gospel account and for the disciples. Because once again, it was hinting back at the Old Testament. It was hinting back at this anticipation of a king who would come. See, Daniel said, had this vision. He said, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the cloud of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one shall not be destroyed. 
but was understood when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me is my dominion is everlasting. I am king. I have gone. I have made the sacrifice. It has been acceptable to the Father. He has given me the kingdom forever and ever. I am your king. And the king's authority is given the king's command. And it starts with a two-letter word. Go. See, Jesus had prayed for this moment, this commissioning, this sending out of his disciples, this commissioning of us, his disciples, 2,000 years later. In the book of John, his high priestly prayer, he is praying to the Father saying, I do not ask that you take them, the disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As Jesus has been sent from perfect community, perfect comfort, perfection in heaven, into our mess of a gutter called fallen humanity, we are sent out from the king As subjects of his beloved son, we are sent out into the dominion of darkness to proclaim this light that has come, to proclaim the king that has come, to proclaim the love of this king and the authority of this king. Christian, you are sent. These words are for you. Go. Here's the important part about it. To being obedient to this call. It means actually going. We, we, can, we forget that part. We start talking about going, start really praying about going. We can actually get some good books about going and get in groups and talk about going. And we forget to actually go. It's called us to go. Francis Chan, a pastor and t- uh, teacher, talks about how easily we, for- we can think that we're being obedient when we're not says it's like being a parent and you have the authority from God given to you to your, over your children. So you tell your son or daughter, go and clean your room. They leave. Three hours later, they come back. So did, did you clean your room? Well, dad, I, first of all, I love the way you told me to go. I love you, and oh, I went upstairs, and I thought about, what, what, what it, man, what would it look like to be able to clean this room? I actually looked up in the Greek what it means to clean the room, and then I got my friends over, and we talked about it, we gathered, we looked at the room, we said, how should we clean this? Well, did you clean the room? No. We can easily do that. Want to go? I want to be sent. Let's go. Let me read this book about going. We never go. So let's not lose the command. It's to go. Go and do what? Go and make disciples. Go proclaim the kingdom that has come. Go and proclaim the king 
who loves, who has come and died and risen again, who has all authority. Proclaim his message and bring followers under his kingdom. Go teach about who he is and see God transfer people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Go and make followers of Jesus Christ. Go and proclaim this message of love. Follow the lead of their teacher, their savior, and their king, Jesus. Now, sometimes in our American microwave drive through culture, we, take, we can take go as simply go get converts, go get decisions, get someone to sign the card, get someone to repeat the prayer, get someone to walk down the aisle, and then go have coffee with them once a week. It's not, that's part of it. It's a piece of the ministry. But it goes much deeper than that. It demands much more than that. So we, see it, we don't see that ministry alone in Jesus' life. We don't see that ministry in the book of Acts, and in the New Testament. So then what does it look like? It's deeper than that. Well, the first and center part of it is proclaiming and preaching the message of the gospel. We are messengers. We have a message. We are to proclaim it. You see the disciples asking for boldness to proclaim this message. So there is an act of proclamation at the center of it, and everything else flows out of it. We understand, as we understand the gospel more deeper, as we are in more and more awe of the gospel and see its riches. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's not just fire insurance. But it's Jesus. It's that all wrong things will be made right. It's hope when cancer comes. It's a foundation when jobs are lost. It's security in a dark and fallen world because we have Jesus. He reigns and he rules. Here's how Charles Spurgeon put it. Charles Spurgeon is a 19th century um, Baptist preacher in England. He says this about this command. He says, it is a voice of love, not wrath, Jesus says, go and teach them the power of my blood to cleanse the willingness of my arms to embrace, the yearning of my heart to save. Go and teach them. Teach them no more to despise me, no more to think my father an angry and unforgiving deity. Teach them to bow the knee and kiss the sun and find peace in me for all their troubles and a remedy for all their woes. Go, speak as I have spoken, weep as I have wept. Invite as I have invited. Exhort, entreat, beseech, and pray as I have done before you. Tell them to come unto me. They are weary and heavy laden, and I will give them rest. And say unto them, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, but had rather that he should turn unto me and live. Oh, what a generous command is that of the text. Go you therefore to teach and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we are go proclaim this gospel. Well, who and where are we to go? 
go therefore make disciples of all nations. Now again, this isn't, yes, they saw, saw this as geographic. They thought, we're in fact going to Jerusalem and we're going to go to all nations. We're going to go to Rome, go to Asia, Africa. This is not just geographic. What made this more profound and more scandalous, especially in the Matthew, the fact that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, is he's saying, you are going to the Gentiles. You are going to proclaim this message to those you think don't deserve it. This message, this blessing, this kingdom is for all peoples, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of gender, regardless of political leans, regardless of nationality. You are to go to all nations, all peoples, because all peoples are image bearers of God. And all peoples have fallen and are rebels, need salvation, and need to hear this message. And some will in this room go to literal nations. We have some that will spend their lives in North Africa making disciples, pleading for disciples. Some, maybe Guatemala, Mexico, Texas. Some will go to foreign lands. From the majority of us, this is a call to go to your neighborhood. It's a call to go to your workplace, to all peoples, near or far. And as we proclaim, as we pray, and as we see lives being transformed by the gospel, by Jesus, we see people being taken out of this darkness and put into the gospel, into the kingdom of the beloved Son, into light, having hope where there was no hope. When they see a holy God, they see their sin before them, they see the love of God and the finished work of the cross, and they trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They turn from their old way of life. They repent and turn to Jesus for their identity, for their security, for their life. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We are named to baptize them into the eternal community that has always been and always been on mission. See, this, this mission isn't created for the church. God wasn't saying to himself, well, I'm saved. Don't know what we do with them. I keep them busy. Now, this mission has been ongoing. The church is created for the mission. And as we, we baptize them, we, we bring them in and symbolize to the community around, the community of God, God's family in the church, the symbol of where they were in death and where they've been brought by Christ to life, into the community of God, into the family of God. See, baptism is to celebrate these new lives. And what if 
We took that call to go seriously in 2011, and we were on our knees praying that the Holy Spirit would go before us and break hearts and open eyes. And we would be in the lives of our neighbors and our coworkers and proclaiming the gospel and loving them and caring for them. Because right now, I think on the schedule, we have two Sundays for baptism. What if we needed two a week, a month? And we were just celebrating over and over again the renewing work of the gospel in people's hearts and minds, the power of the Holy Spirit that overwhelms dead hearts and brings it to life. I, I didn't do this first service, but I'm going to do it now. I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me that we should stop and pray. And so I want to pray and then we'll continue. So let's pray. Gosh, Father God, pray that that would be true here at Desert Springs, Lord. I pray that we'd see many baptisms this year, that your spirit would open eyes and hearts as we continue in this, in your word, Lord, that, th- that we would be overwhelmed and joyful that we get to be on this mission to proclaim your gospel, proclaim your word, and that you've given us the symbol to show the death and life that you bring up, the life you bring about from death. I pray to so bring many through these listeners this year that your spirit would impassion hearts now and that it would soften hearts even if people not here that would be here to be baptized this year. In Jesus' name, amen. As we baptize them, we don't just send them on their way But this command says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Guys, this is a holistic and intentional approach to mission. This is a missional lifestyle. This is not just a shelf, a thing you put on the shelf and you go to every once in a while. It's not a department in your life. This is supposed to consume your whole life. Your whole life is to be on mission. Because that's how Jesus modeled it. And that's what we see in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's saying, watch my life. You want to know what it means to be a Christian? You want to know what it means to be an ambassador to King Jesus? Watch me. Watch my life. As Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. He, the ambassador, well, his job is to proclaim the message from the king, but it's also, its job is to be a representative for that king in a foreign land. Now, being associated with the basketball team for many years now at UNM and now the chaplain for the team, when I go to foreign lands like Las Cruces, I know there's many Aggies in this room and I'm trying to figure out a loophole for church discipline for that. But um, but I wear my Lobo shirt. 
I represent the Lobos in a foreign land or, you know, other school cities. We're aware Christ always because until he calls us home, until he returns, we're in a foreign land. We are to constantly be representing him. So this is every part of our lives. The ambassador is to see as the king sees. To love as the king loves. And to pray that in new ways for those around us that they would see Jesus Christ as their king. This is opening your eyes to those around you. This is praying that God opens our eyes to those around us that are still in darkness and still have not tasted and seen how good God is and how merciful and loving he is. Darren Patrick, a pastor out in St. Louis, says to open your eyes is to risk losing your life and living with a broken heart for the sake of the lost. That's what an ambassador is to be. We anguish and we pray and we plead with God for our neighbors and our co-workers. We plead with God for the nations globally and locally. We're heartbroken like Jesus was. We see sheep without a shepherd. This will involve us opening our lives to those around us. So many of us, and I know I do this often, is live in the suburbs, we open the garage and that garage is coming down before we even step foot in the garage. This means actually being out there to see our neighbors, be hospitable and welcome them in. Ask them about their lives, about rejoice with them, weep with them, plead with them to see the love of Christ. Go before the Father and pray for them. Wake up at night anguishing for them. This means we'll serve those around us as Jesus has served us. Maybe for some of us, the first step is because you're like me and like to have that garage door closed before you get out of your car. You get to know your neighbors. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not preaching this as someone who is good at this. I am naturally a pretty big introvert. And I don't want to go get to know my neighbors. I like doing the little wave thing and running the house. (laughs) Go take care of the kids. I like that. We're not called to that. We're called to be ambassadors. We're called to open our homes and see all that we have physical, all our physical possessions as we are stewards of for his kingdom. Our home is not a refuge. If it's our refuge, it's our idol. Our home is given to us for God to be used for his glory. I'm not talking about morality. I'm not talking about sometimes when we say being a good Christian witness and that means well, you don't cuss around them and you 
They're really polite. And when they sneeze, we go, God bless you. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being the Waltons when people come over. I'm talking about being real and authentic with people, letting them see your warts, walking close enough to people around you that they see your warts. They see you don't have it all together. They see you struggle. They see you at times clinging to the cross through tears. They see you as a messy, wart-filled person who trusts in a God, a great God, who loves and has saved messy, wart-filled people. We no longer see time and money as ours. I think we're the first, one of the first generations that has coined the term me time. I just need some me time. Now, sometimes you need to rest. I understand that. But usually the minute we're home, it's me time until we leave again. We, we're to see our time as being a, as something we're to steward for God's glory and for his mission. This will mean at times our me time gets interrupted to serve, to die to self, and to be at our neighbor's house when they're grieving, to be making meals for our next door neighbor who's sick. What about our money? Money's no longer ours, it's the king's. We're stewards over it. We're not to hoard it. Even in recession times, we're not to hoard it. We're to see it as something we're steward over, we're generous with, and we use for his mission. But that's buying meals. You don't cook if you're a single dude and you're like, bro, if I try to cook for my neighbor, that would be the wrong idea. Get ramen and Cheetos. And the ramen wouldn't be cooked. Maybe let's go to Dion's and buy some Dion's. It's funding the mission of the church. See, that which, what, part of the 1 150 is not funding a DSC little clone. It's funding to plant the gospel in different areas of this world. North Africa, Rio Rancho, other areas of New Mexico, Lord willing, in the future. It's about seeing it as something given to us that's not ours. And as we treasure our money, we put it into his mission, our heart will follow. It's about following the king, guys, who died for his enemies, who served, loved, and was hated in return, and still served and loved and saved. A good gut check could be, what would the world be able to tell about your king, King Jesus, by looking at your life? What's your next-door neighbor know about your king? What's your coworker know about your king? This is a gospel-centered life. 
as you open up your life to those around you. You need to have the gospel at the center of it. Because only when you are truly amazed at the grace given by God through his son Jesus, only when you're amazed by the grace of it, that you, a sinner, are so loved that you are more sinful every day you come to realize you're more sinful than you ever knew to only find out you're more loved than you could ever imagine. Only when you know that kind of grace can you talk about it and live it. Well, for suburbia, as many of us are living, there's some idols, there's some false gods that reign over suburbia. At times, we will turn from Jesus and bow down to these. Three in particular I want to talk about that we're going to have to repent of and that do not go with the mission that Jesus has given. First one, comfort comfort and convenience. We live in a world made for you. Have it your way right away. Put in the micro, you've got a whole meal in 20 seconds. Not a good meal, but you got a meal. And the, American, the whole American dream is about low risk, long life, good health, and slowly going off into the sunset. As John Piper puts it, going to Florida and collecting seashells till you die. That's not how mission is looked at. That's not on the call in the Christian's life to be sent. In the New Testament, it's related to being working the field as a farmer, planting the gospel, watering the seeds that have been planted, and sleeping well, trusting that God will grow it or not. I know for many of us that are my generation or younger, we think of farming, we think of Facebook and Farmville. So we're like, that's not that hard. I can do that. <coughs> do they have an app for it? How can I do it? Well, my grandfather was a farmer. Real work-the-earth farmer. Here in Corrales. And I remember seeing my papa out in the field on his tractor, baling hay. <coughs> and he'd come in at the end of the day stinky. Oh, smell like the field. But now, actually, I like that smell. It reminds me of good times. Sweaty. Coming with his hands, sometimes bloody and cut up and bruised. He was exhausted. He'd work the field all day, working the ground, cultivating it. He'd be tired. We're called to work the field. Mission is tiring. We work hard to plant the gospel seeds in those around us by serving them, by dying to self, by giving up our time, our money. We sleep well at night, knowing the Lord will grow it or not, but we are still tired. See, mission and comfort don't go together. 
serve you comfort, you can't serve Jesus. Safety and security. Many of us got down safety and security. The suburbs were founded for safety and security. Get out of the city. Get to your McMansion. Padlocked. Safe, secure. <clears throat> That's not necessarily all bad, per se. But some of us turn that into our Christian walk. We see safety as the bubble of Christianity, of Christian culture, of our church family, that we can just stay in it and not go into the world unless we have to, and we can run out and grab milk and get back in. I mean, some of us look down the road that Jesus has called us to go down on mission, go, and we're like, okay, hey, cul-de-sac right here, I'll just stay right here, it's pretty comfortable, yeah, okay, it's pretty safe, I don't got to go down that, oh, that road looks a bit dark, and pretty sure I'm going to get messed up down that window, I'll stay right here. You get stuck in the cul-de-sac of safety. And the reality is, is we're trying to bow down to this God. We've just misunderstood safety. Jaron Bars was here <coughs> a while back. And he said, you know what's actually safer? To go and obey Jesus than to stay and disobey. To go where you're going to be hated like he's hated. To go and die to self and maybe just get hatred in return to go and serve and get tired and get bloody and get worn out than to stay and get lazy and get comfortable and be safe. And third, idol, approval. If we're honest, or maybe it's just me, I love being in community with my church family. I do. love being in my community group. love being with the well. I love being on staff at the church. I love being able to talk to guys like Clint and Memo and Drew and Trent. I love being able to talk to them about Jesus, about theology, about going. And I think it's a blessing from God that we got the community of faith. I think God gives us the church to encourage, to uplift, to refresh our souls. But if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, if I look at my heart, there's part of me that I like the approval I get with them. I'd rather just stay here and not have to go somewhere that talking about Jesus means I get the disapproval of man. I get ostracized. I get mocked. I get called crazy, fundamentalist, conservative. Or as I was called when I became a Christian by some of my friends who, you know, I didn't have any Christian friends when I became a Christian, so when I told my fraternity, it was like the tumble we went through our meeting. Straight edge. Straight edger, that's what they call me. I don't know what that means, but Whatever. Approval is something we're conditioned to want. And that's why in fifth grade, you got the D.A.R.E. program that warns you about peer pressure. It's just about approval. Don't do drugs. Don't let your friends' approval guide your decisions. It's a strong idol in our lives. 
But the mission calls us, ultimately, with the gospel at center, to see the amazing approval by the death, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we have gotten from God and have secured forever. That as we go out and men disapprove of us, our king approves. Not even because we're going out, because he has lived and died for us. As messy and broken as we are. Approval, bowing down to man's approval, will flatten your tires for mission before you even get started. <clears throat> I'm hoping some of you guys by now are starting to get uncomfortable. Feel a little inadequate for this call. Go, Los, I can't do this. Los, my community group, we can't even do it together. I don't think this whole church could do it. This mission is too big. It's impossible. And it is. And that's what makes the last line of Matthew's gospel amazing. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is not a king or a general that steps back and says, I gave you the strategy. I'll be here. Go. He's a king that has fought for us victoriously by his life and his death. He has now taken his throne through his resurrection. And he has now sent us, his followers, on this mission. And now he says, and I am with you in this. I am with you present, going. Matthew's gospel introduces us to Jesus. We've heard this probably a lot past month. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew ends with Jesus promising, I am with you to the end of the age. The Greek word for I has an emphasis there, almost as if Jesus is saying, this will be done because I am with you. You want safety? Go with where Jesus says he'll be with us. You want confidence? Know that our king goes with us on this mission. To the end of the age, this mission is temporary. When Christ returns, the mission ends. When Christ calls us home, our mission ends. Desert Springs, we have worship, community, and mission. Those are kind of like our three pillar things we have here, foundations. Worship forever around the throne. We will worship the Lamb, the King, forever and ever. We will worship with the body of Christ, with the saints, the gathered saints around the throne forever and ever as community. Mission ends. You open your eyes and you're in heaven. Mission's over. When he returns, the mission is over. And there should be something about us that finds rest and comfort in that and motivation to work the field now. I told my wife, I told the well and come to redemption 
Rio Rancho in a couple years, a year. You're going to hear this a lot. I want to die tired. I want to, I want to die exhausted. Not because I was a you know, workaholic, or, but I want to die on mission. I want to die in the field, working it, planting the gospel, watering the gospel in my home, in my neighborhood. I want to get bloody. I want to get bruised. I want to get messy in this mission. I want to, I just want to, I want the eternal rest promised to me to sound like rest, not just a continuation of retirement. I want to die tired. I want to be like Paul. So when you finish a race, you're exhausted. He says, I finished the race. I've run, kept the faith, run the course. I want to die out of breath. Close my eyes. Open them. I hear, good job, my good and faithful servant. Not because I was on mission, but because I was his. Enter eternal rest. It's actual rest. Ultimately, this is his mission. This is Jesus' mission. This is bigger than us. So much bigger than us. And God doesn't plead with us. He's a king. He's, what God says is go and watch what I do. Go and be amazed at what I do. See, these are 11 disciples on a mountain. 300 years later, there was over 20 million in the Roman Empire. God isn't going, please, go tell him about me, please. He's saying, this is my mission. I've saved you to be part of it here and now. Come join me and watch what I do. Now what? Okay, Lois, you got us all riled up. We're ready. What do we do? We're going to hit the street and be like, what, wait, wait, what now? Let me give you a couple. We have, this will be on the line at the, DesertSpringsChurch.org website, I think, this week. And I know we'll talk about it probably in your community groups. First one is pray. Pray that you, as an ambassador, start to have a heart like the king. Pray that you're overwhelmed by the king, by his grace and his love. Pray with your community group. If you're in a community group, if not, get in a community group. Pray with your community group. The Holy Spirit would give you a yearning and urging that of Jesus for the for those around you to love and serve and die to self so that you may proclaim the gospel to them and some practical suggestions there's eight of them but I'm only going to read off a couple for time's sake see these are this is a call for your whole life not to change your life necessarily and set aside a week not to have missions emphasis week and in your life in your home Every day should be information's emphasis day in your life. But this is about living your life more intentional, here and now. This is something you can start the minute you leave here. One is, who do you eat with? 
Who do you eat with during the week? You work? Cafeteria, do you eat at the same time with the same people? Are you starting to actually pray for them, get to know them, ask them about their life, and not just talk about football and the weather? And Are you opening your home up to your coworkers, to your neighbors, so that you may love them as Christ has loved us? Are you serving them? Are you washing their feet, whatever way that looks for you? an act of service to them as Christ has done to us. We all eat. We all eat meals. Even college students do. Have them over. Have neighbors over. Have co-workers over. We live in Albuquerque. Albuquerque is a commuter city. I mean, we drive everywhere. We drive from one side of the parking lot to the other. Just how we're conditioned. And we start walking. I'm not talking to work. We're like, well, I live in Rio Rancho and I work in Sandia. That's a long walk. Maybe to the grocery store. Maybe you just go every night at the same exact time and just walk around your neighborhood. But you're going with intentionality. You're going to pray. You're going with mission eyes. You go at the same time, which more than likely means you're going to see the same people over a course of time. But you're going praying for this neighborhood that God has put you in. You see the neighborhood that you're in as a God has put you there. And finally, do you serve your neighbors? Community group leaders, I ask you this. I'm guessing most of you meet at one home during the week or rotate. More than likely, your neighbors see you once a week, see seven, eight cars, four or five cars, however many cars, come into your neighborhood park, take up space on the street, they're probably by this point realizing you're not there for Monday Night Football because it's probably Tuesday. Are you willing to go, hey, you know what? We meet here every week. Once a month, we want to serve this neighborhood. Do you have any needs? Is there a, is there a widow in your neighborhood that needs leaves raked? Is there a grieving family that needs meals? How's your community group adding to the value of the neighborhood that you meet in every week? Or are you just taking up space in the, and then running in, huddling, studying the Bible, and running back out? Guys, this is the one chance that we have to be on mission. To be able to be amazed at what God does in our lives. There are people in your life you probably think of right now and go, that dude is, that dude, No. Yeah, I tried, Lois. Yeah, we went we went with McDonald's one time and we pulled out some quotes, Bill Maher, and it was bad after that. Nine years ago, everyone I knew would have said there's no way. Christians I knew said there was no way. God doesn't say he needs you for the mission. The king commands you to go. And then lets us be part of it. He says, watch what I do.